0: Good morning, church family. Great to just gather together with you here this morning as brothers and sisters, as children of God. Amen? Amen. Wow, we have a, a wonderful Heavenly Father, and it's great to gather together and worship Him. Um, today we we get to uh, pick back up our study of Luke's Gospel. Um, previously we spent some time uh, looking at the joyous visit of Mary to the home of her relatives, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Uh, during our study, we noted a number of different ways that people expressed great joy over what God was doing and how we too can find joy in our walk with the Lord. In our study this morning, we're going to return to the situation with Zacharias and Elizabeth and the birth of their son, whom we know to be John the Baptist. And so let's just jump right into our text for us this morning, Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Our text this morning is going to be verses 57 through 66. And a message I've entitled, A Son in Their Old Age. A Son in Their Old Age. Will you all rise to your feet in honor of the Lord and His Word? I want to encourage you guys to follow along in your Bible as I read from mine. Luke continues to the narrative, his gospel account, in chapter 1, verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day, that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And so they all marveled. Verse uh, 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together as your sons and daughters, as your children, to hear from you, our Abba Father. Lord, we do invite your spirit to just continue to be with us, to uh, move within us and through us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just continue to prepare our hearts to receive all that you'd have for us. Lord, open our our ears, open our minds. Most importantly, Lord, we ask, open up our hearts to the work that you desire to do in us and through us this morning. We submit our time to you, asking for your spirit to continue to do that work that you've begun in each of us. Lift up our time to you, our study to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Having children... Later in life is something that is becoming more and more common throughout the world. Uh, According to a New York Times report, the overall average age of first-time mothers in the United States is 26 years old. Uh, Studies show that for over the last four decades, that number continues to rise higher and higher and higher. For comparison's sake, the average age of first-time mothers in the early 1970s was actually 21. And so, Uh, We see this trend. This isn't just something that's going on in the United States either. Uh, In Switzerland, uh, here in Japan, uh, Spain, Italy, and South Korea, the average age of first-time mothers is even higher, where the average age is 31 years young, we'll say, (laughs) The study highlighted the fact that education has played a significant role in increasing this number. More and more women are deciding to forego motherhood in order to pursue a college degree. Uh, The study showed that women with college degrees have children an average of seven years later than those without college degrees. Other strong correlations had to do with whether people were from big urban cities or from smaller rural towns. Uh, For instance, in San Francisco, a big urban city, the average age was 32 for first-time mothers, while small rural rural areas like Todd County, South Dakota, had an average age of 20 for first-time mothers. Those married were also a big determiner for the age of first-time mothers. The overall age of first-time married mothers was 29, while the average age of first-time unmarried mothers was 23. Uh, um, Interesting to kind of consider, you know, just trends and and how uh, people, when people decide to have children. Of course, Farah and I uh, know a little bit about having children later in life. Uh, By God's grace, we had children at a young age and at a not as young age, okay? Um, Yesterday was our firstborn child's birthday. Our son Caleb, who's uh, interning up at Calvary Chapel Fuchu in central Tokyo, just celebrated his 20th birthday. That's just kind of crazy that we've got a 20-year-old. Vera and I were 24 and... 23 years old when we had Caleb, we were a, a little on the younger side, but we also had a child in our later years, okay, we were both over 40 when we had Titus, our two-year-old, so, uh, while Farrah and I had children at a young age and a less than young age, the husband and wife in our account this morning, they were barren for years and years, In years, okay? In fact, they were well advanced in age, well beyond their child-rearing years. And yet, God in his mercy and in his grace chose to bless this family with a son in their later years. This married couple loved the Lord. They served the Lord faithfully. We were told earlier in this chapter that they both were righteous before God and they were blameless before uh, men. Uh, They prayed and they prayed over and over year after year for the Lord to bless them with a child without hearing any word from the Lord. God had a different plan in store for them and He was operating upon His own divine timeline. As we go through our text this morning, I've taken the liberty of breaking it up into three small sections. And each section revolves around this son that was given to this righteous and blameless couple in their old age. And so we'll start off our study by looking at verses 57 and 58 in a section that deals with the birth of John the Baptist. Okay, the birth of john the baptist take a look at verse 57 and 58 again it says now elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth the son when her neighbors and relatives heard how the lord had shown great mercy to her they rejoiced with her we're told in our opening verses that the full time came for elizabeth to give birth to the son that the lord had promised to her Previously in this chapter, the Lord had visited Zacharias while he was serving in the temple as priest. As Zacharias was offering the incense upon the altar of incense during the daily sacrifice, the angel Gabriel visited him and declared to him that the Lord had heard his prayers and that his wife Elizabeth was going to bear him a son. This, of course, was a big shock to Zacharias. It was something that he had indeed prayed for for a very, very long time without ever hearing from the Lord, and he was probably something that he had given up hope on many years ago. Zacharias could not believe it. His response was, how shall I know this? Or better yet, how shall I believe this? Okay, to Zacharias, this was something that was simply unbelievable, something that he felt was impossible. He faltered at the word of the Lord, and for his disbelief, the angel Gabriel pronounced that he would be mute, unable to speak, until the promise of this child came to fruition. Obviously, Zacharias, he went home. He wrote down all that Gabriel had spoken to him, and he shared it with his wife Elizabeth, and by God's grace, Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself for five months, praising God for taking away her reproach among the people for so many years. Elizabeth had to live with the the pain and the constant reminder of her inability to have children. It was seen as a, a shameful thing during that day and age to be barren, something that brought reproach upon many women and their family. But God was at work. Elizabeth was given a promise from the Lord. And here in our text, we see that despite the seeming, impossibility of this situation, God comes through for Elizabeth and Zacharias. And we're reminded here of a very important truth, a simple truth, but one that I think we may need to make note of. And that is quite simply that God always keeps his promises. Okay? God always keeps His promises. Though Elizabeth was well advanced in years, beyond her childbearing years, though the situation seemed impossible, the circumstances beyond belief, God came through for her. He was faithful to His promise. Listen, with God, there is nothing that is impossible. We read of that very truth just a few weeks back in our study of Luke. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, the angel Gabriel was speaking to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in. He said to her, For with God, nothing will be impossible. You see, like Mary and like Elizabeth and Zacharias, we may feel at times like our circumstances are beyond belief. We can feel like our situation is an impossible one. That there is no way that things will ever work their way out. And yet, we have this truth. Before us, God is faithful. When God makes a promise through His Word, we can be assured that He will keep that which he promises, and his word will come to fruition. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 declares to us, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are amen to the glory of God through us. Listen up, church family, okay? If God said it, we can believe it, okay? And we can rest in it no matter how impossible our circumstances or how impossible our situations may seem, God is more than able okay, trust in His Word and in His promises to you. Well, as God was faithful to come through for Elizabeth and Zacharias, word spread to Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives, and all of them were very excited for Elizabeth. They rejoiced with her, but note what their excitement was based upon. They rejoiced over how the Lord had shown great mercy to Elizabeth. There was excitement for the birth of the child, no doubt, but it would seem that even more so, the people rejoiced over the mercy that had been shown towards Elizabeth. We know that Elizabeth's barrenness was something that weighed heavily upon her. And for some who were inconsiderate of her situation, they saw it as a reproach upon her, a disgrace, but not the Lord. It would seem that Elizabeth was a woman that was well-respected and well-loved, admired by her neighbors and her relatives. She was a righteous woman a blameless woman, a woman who grew up around the Lord and active in serving the Lord, growing up in the home of a priest and then eventually marrying a priest herself. And yet God had allowed her to endure so many years of barrenness. No doubt it was heartbreaking to see a woman that was so loved and admired go through such an emotionally challenging season as this i think we can relate i think most of us know of people in our own lives people who love the lord who are serving the lord who are waiting upon the lord for a particular request and we just long so much to see god come through for them Whether that be a a spouse that they're waiting for, perhaps a child that they're praying for, a job, or or whatever the situation may be. We see those people, and we just want to see them blessed. We want to see them get really the desires of their heart. We think of those people just think, man, God, if you would just bless that person. You know, man, they just love you, and they're serving you, and they're waiting patiently for you, God. Man, I just would love to see you bless them. Here in our text, that's exactly what's happened. The reproach that Elizabeth carried had been lifted from her. God had given her a son and shown to her his great mercy. Now, it is important that we understand what mercy is. Okay? And I'm not going to get into lexicon, dictionary definitions here, but just a simple way to kind of distinguish mercy and, and, and grace and, and different attributes here. Grace, listen, grace is getting what we don't deserve, okay? Getting what we don't deserve. When we receive God's grace, we are receiving something that we don't deserve, something that we haven't earned, something that's given to us as a gift from the Lord. Justice is getting what we deserve, okay? When we say that justice was served in the court system, we are believing and at least hoping that the people got what they deserved, okay? Mercy, however, is not getting what we do deserve. You see, the truth of the matter is that we all deserve hell and eternal damnation because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we deserve. Okay? The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us that. But God shows us mercy. He holds back His judgment, which we deserve. He does not immediately blast us the moment that we sin, though He would be justified in doing so. But instead, He shows us mercy. Why? Why does God show us such great mercy? Well, I I hope not to burst any bubbles here this morning, but it isn't because you're such a great person. Okay. It isn't because we're so wonderful that God shows us mercy. Okay. It isn't because of what we do. It isn't because we go to church or because we read our Bibles, or because we serve in the church or because we tithe or because of anything else we do. God's mercy actually has nothing to do with who we are or what we do. God's mercy is based solely upon God's great love for us. How do we know this? We know this because the truth of the scriptures tells us so. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. It is because of God's great love for us that he extends to us his mercy. And you know, when we love others selflessly and sacrificially with God's agape love, His unconditional love, we too will be those who exhibit mercy towards others. You know, I think by default, unfortunately, we are wired to want justice for others. We want people to get what's coming to them. We want people to get what they deserve. Now... We don't want that for ourselves, of course, okay? Uh, We want mercy, and we want grace for ourselves. But when it comes to others, our natural tendency is to want justice. Why? It's because we don't naturally love people with the love of God. Our love is often conditional. Our love uh, is often fickle. It's not based upon God's kind of love. It's not agape love. It's not selfless love, sacrificial love. Oh, how desperately we need more of God's love in our lives. In our hearts that we may love others with God's love and in turn be those who extend mercy towards those around us. Well, let's get back to our text. We'll take a look at our next section dealing with the naming of John the Baptist. Okay, the naming of John the Baptist in verses 59 through 63 Luke writes so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias his mother answered and said no he shall be called John but they said to her there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name and so they made signs to his father what he would have him called and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying His name is John. And so they all marveled. We'll stop right there. We're told here that on the eighth day, Elizabeth and Zacharias took their son to be circumcised. Now, circumcision was something that had been given to the Jews by the Lord himself, dating all the way back to the days of Abraham. Way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 17, God instructed Abraham to circumcise himself along with every male child of all of his descendants, of all of his household. It was to be a sign of the covenant between the Lord and Abraham. God had entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham. He had promised to Abraham that he would be his God and the God of Abraham's descendants. It was an everlasting covenant, one that would never end. And circumcision was to be a sign of this covenant. It was a way for Abraham and his descendants to show that they were unique, that they were different than the rest of the world, that they had been sanctified by the Lord, set apart as God's special people. Interestingly, God instructed Abraham to circumcise all the males born to him on the eighth day. Some have often wondered, why why the eighth? day okay well we could simply answer and say well because god said so and that's it you know god said so we don't need to really worry about it uh and we don't need any other reason for it i mean who are we to question the lord in his ways right if he said it was the eighth day to do it then we do it on the eighth day but i do find it interesting that god specifically prescribed that circumcision be done on the eighth day did you know That it is usually on the eighth day that male babies have the highest levels of vitamin K and prothrombin within their bodies. Vitamin K and prothrombin are what our body uses to help our blood clot, to coagulate, okay? Babies usually don't have much vitamin K in their system at birth. It doesn't pass through the placenta very easily, and so babies are at a serious risk of bleeding due to a deficiency of vitamin K. That's why even to this day, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends supplementing low levels of vitamin K in newborns with a single shot of vitamin K given at birth. Okay, most people most babies today when they're born you'll be you know, they'll be handed over to mom They get that touch time that call time Then they take them away and get them cleaned up and they kind of do all that kind of stuff and bringing the baby back during that time They're giving that baby a shot of vitamin k. Okay That's part of the normal procedure Because they need that to help with uh, their blood uh, Clot bl- blood clotting, you know, some may look at that and think wow what a coincidence that God told Abraham and his descendants to be circumcised on the best possible day to do it when the blood clotting agents needed in a baby's body were at their highest. You know, what some call coincidence, I see as God's providence. God is the one who made us. Okay? He knows us better than we know ourselves, and he is in control of all things. He's sovereign over us, and we can trust him with our lives. We look at this and we just say, of course, God. Of course it's the eighth day, because that was the day that the blood would best clot for this uh, cutting away of the flesh. And so John the Baptist was circumcised in accordance with the covenant established with Abraham. His circumcision was a way of identifying himself as being set apart for the Lord. You know, we too are called to be set apart for the Lord, separated unto the Lord, holy unto the Lord. God calls us to live a life that is holy. That word holy, it means set apart. Okay? It speaks of uh, a sanctification, a, a, a separating. Romans teaches us that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, and how we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I don't know about you, But I know that I want to know what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. I know a number of people that have come to me and asked, man, I I just don't know what God's will is for my life. I want to know God's will. Listen, here's God's will for your life. That you would live a holy life. That you would live a life that is set apart. That you would not be conformed to this world, but you would be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's God's will for your life. Earlier in Romans, Paul addressed the matter of circumcision and its role in our lives. He wrote this in Romans chapter 2. He said, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. Paul tells us that circumcision isn't about the outward cutting away of the flesh. It was just symbolic, it was a sign. It's more focused upon the inward and the spiritual. It's a matter of the heart. You see, God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to be softened towards Him, yielded to Him, surrendered to Him. That is what circumcision is all about. It's about surrendering ourselves to the Lord. It's about dying to the flesh and living for the Spirit, living a life that is fully set apart for the Lord. Well, it was customary at the time of circumcision to also officially declare uh, the name of your child at that same time. And as Zacharias and Elizabeth took the baby to be circumcised, most assumed that they would call the baby by the name of his father, Zacharias, since that was the custom of the day. And it was Zacharias's only chance to really pass his namesake along. It wasn't as if Zacharias was expecting to have more kids after John the Baptist. He no doubt realized that this was his one and only shot to pass along his namesake. And so too, everyone else would realize this. However, the angel Gabriel, when he visited Zacharias in the temple and told him about the son God was going to give him, he left specific instructions to name the child John. The name John means Jehovah has been gracious. And indeed, he had been gracious to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias and Elizabeth had a choice to make. Would they give in to cultural norms and traditions, or would they be obedient to the word of the Lord? Well, as we read in our text, Elizabeth spoke up and corrected the people, telling them that the baby would not be named after Zacharias, but that his name would be John But the people couldn't understand why they would name the child John and not Zacharias. And so they checked with Zacharias to ensure that, you know, he was okay with the name John and that he didn't want to name the child after himself. Now, interestingly, you will note that they made signs to Zacharias asking him what he would have him called. Some have concluded that perhaps Zacharias was not only mute but deaf uh, too based upon this verse. I guess it is a possibility, but the scriptures don't say that for sure. Uh, But the fact that they're trying to signal to him and, you know, make people think that not only could he not speak, but he could not hear. Anyways, Zacharias asked for a writing tablet, wrote confirming that his name was to be John, and they all marvel. You know, I think that there is something that we need to note here that is of particular importance, great importance, I would say, when it comes to the naming of John the Baptist in our lives today. Zacharias and Elizabeth were faced with a decision to make. Would they listen to God and his word to them? Or would they bow down and yield to the customs and traditions of man and the cultural expectations of the day? You know, we face a lot of pressure from the world around us to conform to certain cultural expectations certain traditions and or customs of our day. Now don't get me wrong. Okay? Culture and, and traditions and, and customs are very much a part of our, our lives. Okay? Even in the church, okay, we have a lot of customs and traditions that aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just what we do for whatever reason. Okay? Uh, as a church, we've decided that we do communion the first Sunday of every month. Okay? Does it say that anywhere in the Bible to do that? No, it doesn't. Okay? That's just our tradition. Does it say every time you read the Word of God in church setting, you need to rise to your feet? No, that's just a tradition that we do. It's just something that I like to do, and so as a pastor, I get to kind of make the rules. So, <laughs> you know, you guys get to stand, you know. Uh, it's just tradition, though, okay? It, it, it's not good or bad. It's just what we do, okay? Now, when the culture of the day or the customs of the day or the traditions of man come up against the Word of God and they stand in opposition to something that God has clearly spoken of, then we must make sure that we are obedient to the Lord and not to men. Peter and John, they faced a a similar situation in the book of Acts. They were called together by the religious authorities that were trying to pressure them into doing something they had no right to do by commanding them not to speak at all or to teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John's response was thus, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The religious leaders couldn't say anything or do anything about it. They ended up releasing Peter and John. Later, they would be brought before the same religious leaders again and questioned. The religious leaders said to them, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. To which Peter and the apostles with him answered quite simply, We ought to obey God rather than men listen we live in a world that is ever more increasing in pressure to conform pressure to accept new cultural norms pressure to follow the masses and to simply follow along we need to make sure that we are listening for the voice of the Lord in these matters. And when God speaks, we need to be obedient to the word of God, no matter what the world may say or do. Like Peter declared, we ought to obey God rather than men. Let's continue, in our, continue on in our text. Take a look at our final verses in our final section of our study dealing with the wonder about john the baptist okay the wonder about john the baptist read verses 64 through 66 with me it says immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising god then fear came on all who dwelt around them and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of judea and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying what kind of child will this be in the hand of the lord was with him immediately after zacharias confirmed the naming of his son as john was when his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed where he was once again able to speak and note with me the very first thing that came out of zacharias's mouth was praise praise for nine months zacharias was forced to live without a voice Unable to share with others the detail and the excitement of what he had witnessed and what he had heard from his time before the altar of incense when the Gabriel, the angel, visited him. You know, I'm sure there were so many days he longed to have his voice back, to talk to Elizabeth, his wife, to see how she was doing, to pray with her, to talk with her. You know, she's well advanced in age, and she's going through a pregnancy, you know, and, and just to be there to support her. He hadn't, couldn't go out and talk to his neighbors and his relatives and tell them all about the Lord uh, and what he was doing. The angel Gabriel had declared that Zacharias would remain mute until the fulfillment of the things that Gabriel spoke of took place. The promised baby had come. The only thing left to fulfill the word of the Lord was to name the baby John in accordance with what the angel had told Zacharias. And the second he confirmed the baby's name was the second that God opened back up his mouth. And Zacharias' first words were praise to the Lord. Zacharias praised God for the fulfilled promise, not of just his mouth being reopened, but more importantly, the fact that God had given him a son, that God had finally, after years and years, answered his prayers, Can you imagine praying for something for so long, year after year after year after year, God finally answering that prayer and then not being able to speak about it for nine months straight? I think Zacharias gives us a a good example to follow here. Zacharias had prayed over and over for a son and God heard his prayers, answered them in his perfect timing, and for that, Zacharias praised God. You know, we often will go to the Lord in prayer, when we need something or when we want something from the Lord, when we want Him to act on our behalf or on the behalf of someone else as we intercede for them. But how often do we go to the Lord in prayer and simply praise Him for answered prayers? You know, I I think He gives us a great example here. We need to be those who are going to the Lord and praising Him for the work that He has done, for the work that He's doing, for the work that He's going to do in our lives. Our prayer time shouldn't be just us sharing with the Lord our requests, our needs, our desires. We need to add into our prayer time a dedicated time of praise. Where we take time to think of how God has answered our prayers and how He has worked in our lives. And we need to thank Him for it. Listen up, church family. We ought to spend just as much time thanking God for things as we do asking God for things. So many times I think God answers our prayers. We're just kind of like, oh, okay, that was cool. And we just kind of go on our way. May we be those people who are mindful and thankful for God's work in our lives. And may we be those who continually praise Him for it. Well, as Zacharias spoke out, praising God, all who dwelt around him, they were struck with just great fear and awe over what was taking place. Word began to spread throughout the area about what God was doing in and through Zacharias and Elizabeth. Everybody was talking about it, and they all pondered these things in their heart, and they questioned among themselves, what kind of child will this be? It's such an interesting question. What kind of child will this be? Of course, Zacharias and Elizabeth already had the answer to that question. For the Lord had told them through the angel Gabriel exactly what kind of child John would be. Actually, if you want to look up in your text, you can look up in Luke chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And actually, we're told all about John the Baptist and the kind of child he would be and what his life would entail. We're told of his position. The angel declared that John would be great in the sight of the Lord. And indeed, this was true. For Jesus himself declared concerning John the Baptist, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist of those born of women. Okay, John was great in the sight of the Lord. You know what's interesting? A lot of people want to be great, and there's nothing wrong with that. We should desire... Uh, I think, to to do well, to excel. A lot of people want to be great. They want to do well. They want to succeed. But most people aren't willing to do what it takes to become great. It's not hard. Honestly, Jesus tells us the path to greatness. Jesus tells us how to become great in the sight of the Lord. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28. He said, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, the way of greatness is through service. This is the example that Jesus left for us and that we are to follow after. If we want to be great, we need to become a servant. We're not only told of John's position of greatness, but also of his power. We are told that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. John was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. John worked and ministered with the strength the Spirit provided. You know, the same Holy Spirit that filled and empowered John the Baptist is available to us as well from our birth Not our physical birth, but our spiritual birth. The moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ and are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence within us. He fills us and can empower us for service and ministry to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus actually promised us in the book of Acts, telling us, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That same power is available to us. Lastly, we're told of John's purpose. John's purpose, his calling in life, was to turn people's hearts towards the Lord. And our purpose is the same. Okay, our purpose is to know God and to make Him known. It's all about Jesus. Okay, knowing Him and making Him known to the world around us. We are to be salt and light in this world. Jesus declared that we are to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. As people see us and the way that we live our lives, it ought to point them to Jesus. One more thing for us to note before we wrap this all up. The end of verse 66 tells us something that's very important for us to note. It reads, And the hand of the Lord was with him. All of the things John had going for him, from his position to his power to his purpose, all were the result of God's hand being upon him. You see, this wasn't something he did on his own or manufactured on his own. It was the result of God's hand being upon him and God working in his life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 declares, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Listen, church family, it's God that does the work. Okay. It's God who works out His will for our lives. It's God who has prepared us for good works that we should walk in them. It's not something that God says, well, you better figure it out, okay? You, you, you better learn how to do this on your own. No, 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 no that's not it at all. God was, is the one that's going to do the work. It's all about the Lord and His work in us, His hand upon us. It isn't something God's looking for us to manufacture on our own. It isn't something God's looking to us and saying, well, you better you know, man up and get this done. No, it's not by our strength. It's not by our own flesh or our own power. It is a work of His Spirit. The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel was not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. May God's hand be upon us, and may His Spirit continue to do a great work in us and through us all to the praise and glory and honor of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for uh, this portion of Scripture talking about John the Baptist and, and his birth and just some wonderful truths that we're able to glean from it, Lord. Lord, we do thank you for your mercy that's been poured out upon us. Lord, we thank you that it is a work of your spirit that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us position and power and a purpose. Lord, I pray that we would, would walk in those things, Lord. Lord, I do ask, Lord, that we would be a people empowered by Your Spirit, led by Your Spirit, a people that praise You for answered prayers. Lord, we thank You that Your promises are yes and amen. Lord, that we can put our hope and our faith, our trust in You. You are sovereign over all, Lord, and we give You praise. Lord, I do ask Lord for a special blessing upon my brothers and sisters in in you Lord Lord I do ask for just a fresh filling a fresh empowering of your Holy Spirit upon their lives Lord that they would operate in the strength that the Spirit provides that they would be led and guided by your Holy Spirit and Lord that you would continue to do a great and wonderful work in and through them we give you praise God we praise you Lord for all the wonderful things that you've done in our lives Lord you saved us from our sins Lord we praise you for that Lord you've blessed us in so many ways countless ways but Lord we don't want to be lazy and just say well there's too many to number oh, we won't bother counting them off but Lord I pray that you would still in our hearts a desire to praise you and to be reminded of all the wonderful things you've done to you be all praise honor and glory